This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour. I have to say for my own sake. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. I miss you, Baron B. I miss you, Baron B. So I have a question for you. Why is everybody moving to Byron Bay. From Hollywood A-listers, Zac Efron, the Hemsworth clan with their linen clothes and their bare feet and everybody else in between. It seems that a coastal home with a neutral palette, shaggy beach hair and gorgeous kids is all the rage. But the Byron Bay effect has been happening for a long time now, but it has gone to next level. You may have seen there is a new Netflix series that's due to come out and it's called Byron Bays, and that's spelt B-A-E-S. It's described, now wait for it, as a docu-soap. I didn't even know that that was a category. But it is following the feed of hot Instagrammers, apparently living their best lives, being their best selves, and creating the best drama content. Hashtag no filter, guaranteed, is the description. Now, locals in Byron Bay have been annoyed about what's happening to their town long before this series. Some locals have said that they want more money invested in things like housing and coastal erosion and less into hot Instagrammers. But it happens, though, doesn't it? It's just gentrification, and it happens to a lot of small, sleepy towns. And the reason why you lived or moved there in the first place quite often changes – And it gets overtaken, whether that's a bad thing or not, with coffee shops and wine bars and homeware stores stocking stupidly expensive cushions. But tourists bring money to towns and these new businesses create jobs and they give reasons for people to stay, to start families and to keep some towns alive and not die off like other small towns. So the question always remains is, can locals and newbies, I couldn't think of another word, but new people that arrive in town, can they live side by side? Locally here in Victoria, it happens all the time from our suburbs to our towns. It's happening right now in a sleepy little town in South Gippsland, Lock. Not many people knew it was there. It barely had a grocery store. But a Melbourne footballer's Insta post of his mum's cafe, many say was the catalyst for Locke now being a destination spot. It's just an hour out of the CBD and it's full of trendy types and shops. So today we will take you to Byron Bay. We will take you to Locke and we'll find out how people feel about change. What parts of it do they really like and what parts really frustrate you? But how has your suburb or town changed? When I lived in Coburg back in the 90s, it was pretty much just us poor students and the nonnas. Now neither live there. So suburb or town, is gentrification a bad thing? This is the Conversation Hour. So follow Follow the sun And which way the wind blows When this day is done So why is everybody moving to Byron Bay? Look, I have to say, I've never been. And as soon as I put that out there around the office, everybody said, that's why you don't get it, Rish. Is there a moment where you're on holidays and you think oh my goodness, I want to live here. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to become a yoga instructor and I'm going to live in Byron Bay. Do you go and visit a little town like Locke? We'll be going there later in the program. Do you just stop? Maybe you're camping like the owners of the Olive Cafe and you say, that's it. I'm buying this cafe that's up for sale and I'm moving in. So have you moved? And when people move en masse, when gentrification happens, is that okay? You know, is there parts of it that are really beneficial to your suburb or town? I'm talking Castlemaine. I'm talking Kyton as well. I've got texts coming in. Kyton is now the new home of hipsters. Kyton used to be a nice little country town with solid, interconnected community. Then the hipsters and the Instagram influencers moved in with their boutique agricultural and slow-glowing roses and cooking. People are judgmental. They check what's in your trolley at the supermarket if it's not biodynamic, if it's not wrapped in something that isn't plastic. You cop a comment. 
So is there a little bit of that? Or is it really good for your town? Does it create opportunities? Does it create jobs? Does it keep people in your town? And can there be a balance? Ron's in Byron. Hi, Ron. Uh, hi, hi, Rochelle. Now, I'm in Melbourne, actually. I work in Melbourne and I live there. Yeah. Uh, I travel back and forth all the time. We've been there for, we've had a house there for 30 years, uh, but we've moved permanently up there five years ago. But we're back and forth because my wife's got grandchildren in Melbourne, but what's happened up there in 30 years is just so unrealistic that you, know, you could have projected the change. Uh, it's a terribly expensive town despite the housing problem. There's a text here that says, I was in Byron only two days ago. What a shock for someone who spent a lot of time there 30 years ago these days. It feels more like Noosa, just like in Joni Mitchell's song, Big Yellow Taxi. That song comes to mind. Is it not good for, okay, yes, if Byron, for example, and the Byron effect can be used to, I guess, be the blueprint for any town or suburb. Is it not a good thing in in some ways that it, it gives money and job opportunities, and then if you have to move a little further out, then so be it, or is it not the case? Well, the the, the stark reality of it is that, as I said, it's an expensive town, and I was up uh, during COVID, I was up there quite a bit and played golf with a couple of guys, and one of them owns a very prominent restaurant there, and I said, he has to shut on Tuesday and Wednesday night, and I said to him, oh, and he can't get staff because the backpackers are not there. There's no one there um, since COVID. And I said, look, there's a 1,000 chefs in Melbourne who are looking for work. So he said, I've tried that. He said, I flew a couple of them up. He said, when you're paying $800 for a single-bedroom apartment, he said, they just turned around and went home. I know it's been a big problem. There's a text here that says, I went to Byron Bay in 1965 as a kid and there was nothing there. How quickly Uh, have you seen the Byron Bay effect happen, Ron? uh, Well, the two major things, I I, I converse quite regularly with one of the historians up there. I'm very interested in the history of the place because it was just a very ordinary seaside town. It had a dairy uh, cheese-making process, a whaling station, a couple of a tannery and a a couple of... um, uh, timber mills. But then uh, Paul Hogan and uh, Johnny Cornell built the Beach Hotel 30 years ago and as soon as they upgraded the highway from Brisbane and all those little satellite towns between Surface Paradise and Byron expanded, it, it just became readily accessible. Is so it not happening in Melbourne and Victoria as well though, Ron? If you sort of commute yeah. between the two areas, it happens everywhere, doesn't it? Oh, it does. Yeah, and we've got family in Kyneton, and as you said in your introduction, it's uh, it's just paralysing what's happening there. But see, the Byron people, they accept that the, everyone used to laugh. So 30 years ago, I used to be an A-list, but now I'm D-minus, they reckon. So um, they, they they accept the fact that their properties, you know, our neighbour paid $12,500 for their cottage, and they've turned down $2.5 Oh, my goodness. That's quite the investment, Ron, isn't it? Yeah, but what do they do? It's their life. Yeah, of course. I just find that incredible, though. Do you think the Hollywood A-listers, I was watching Graham Norton the other night, and I can't remember the name of the big actress that was on it, and because they're all still in lockdown in the UK and and across various parts of the globe, the actress, a big comedic actress, and she said, oh, no, I live in Byron Bay now. And I thought, oh, gosh, there's another one that you can add to the list. Has Hollywood had an impact on how Byron feels? Oh, most definitely. Uh, You know, we... I, I go swimming every morning early and on the beach, yeah, for patches there, there was Nicole Kidman just wandering along and no one's, you know, pestering or photographing or anything. And Yeah, look, the, the whole image of it's changed. But the, big, the, the biggest change I've noticed in the last 12 months is the IT companies, the little two or three uh, geared uh, international... Yeah operating IT companies yep. and fashion houses that are based at the industrial estate there now. And, uh, 
Yeah, it's changed a lot. Operating online. Ron, good on you. It's been great to hear from you and hear from both, I guess, Kyton as well as Byron. Thank you. Rochelle, growing up in Castlemaine in the 70s and 80s with our neighbouring town, Dalesford, it was just full of spud pickers. Now it's very different. Boy, have things changed, good and bad for all. That's from Crystal. I sort of want to know what is the good and what is the bad and, you know, can you have one without the other? If no one moves to town and if no one is setting up coffee shops and wine bars and creating reasons for people to visit on the weekend, how does that town or suburb stay alive? How do you generate those incomes as well? Melissa McCarthy, thank you. That's who it was. Rebel Wilson says this text. Has she moved there as well? And yet I've never been. Kaz Ross is a local from St Kilda who moved a few years ago just outside Byron with her husband and her small child. She lives in Mullumbimby. Kaz, are you just sort of side by side with a Hemsworth or Nicole Kidman or Melissa McCarthy? Is that is that the reason why you moved? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, Hemsworth's kids play down at the local soccer, so we do we do spot him occasionally. But um, no, certainly not why we moved up here. But um, there has definitely been a massive influx of the um, of Hollywood in the area. Um, everyone knows sort of where they live and whereabouts they are. But I think yeah, it's an interesting place. How it just there are definitely you know loads of issues, but there is lots and lots of really great things about the community up here. Um, and I think like anywhere, you can just, you can either choose to be involved in, you know, the good stuff or, or sort of sit back and kind of complain about some of the negative things. But I mean, I think, I think it's being conscious of where you move to and, and what some of the concerns are. And that was definitely something we took on board when we moved up. Um, and, but we've just found nothing but, um, open, welcoming communities. We started off living in Brunswick Heads where our daughter moved. Um, we put her in school there and, the lifestyle change for us has just been obviously getting out of St Kilda, which we loved, but um, moving up to the area where we always used to travel and spend our holidays here. I mean, it does feel like a holiday um, sort of living here as well. But, yeah, not not disregarding any of the concerns and issues. Rental mm. prices is massive in the area. Um, but, you know, communities just, um, it's, it is really interesting how it just coexists um, you do have the Hollywood A-listers. You have got some really interesting, interesting people with really diverse views on the world, and somehow it kind of it has its moments, but it just kind of coexists like this, um, which I think is a really healthy thing to yeah. actually not just be living in one particular type of community, whether it's a farming community or or a hippie community or a you know it, it just coexists somehow together and um yeah we love it obviously <laughs> i'm always intrigued to you know when you go to visit somewhere and while you're away you're like oh my goodness this is it this is where i want to live i'm going to change my lifestyle i'm going to become a better person i'm going to become a calmer person a more relaxed person but then when you actually move and once the holiday honeymoon period is over life just kind of gets crazy and busy again. Have you been able to keep that holiday feeling <laughs> through yeah. the move? Yeah, we do. Look, I'm actually I'm actually down at the um, Mullen Market, the farmer's market. Now, we have three markets, one in Byron, one at um, New Brighton and one at um, Mullen every week. So we've got the farmer's market. And when you come down and you go, like, it's a Friday, right? And, you know, there's one on Tuesday, Thursday and a Friday. And you come down here and you just go, what does everyone do? Like, does anyone actually work? Like, what? But, but to me, it's a great reminder that this is actually what life should look like. That, um, you know, that it is people not, fo- I mean, yes, you've got to um, earn some cash to pay the bills and all the rest of it, but people have just got a different outlook of how to live life. And, I, and to be honest, I don't, for us, no, we haven't got caught up into it all. Like the the old way of living, we we try and maintain. Um, you know, we try and maintain a real good balance with like how how society seems to exist around here, as well as you know we've got to obviously work and, and earn a couple of dollars. Mm. But no, we love it. I mean, my husband surfs, so I mean, he is living the dream. He goes to water goes nearly every morning at five thirty with all the old surf dogs and. He's just living the dream, and then he still goes off and buzzes about, does a bit of work for the day. But he's surfing every day, working on our house, and doing a little bit of work. So he just he's, he's loving it. I'm loving it. We all we all love it. 
Now, what about when you're standing in line at the market or the supermarket? Is there some, you know, is not everybody happy about it? And do some of the more diehard locals feel a little bit ripped off? We're going to speak to the mayor in, in just a moment. So he'll go into the, the nitty gritties of, of housing and coastal erosion and whatnot. But there's a text here, for example, from Randall in Castle, Maine. And it says, the problem is not the newbies, as in the new people moving to town. It's the NIMBYs, which he says stands for not in my back yard. There's a big backlash against blow-ins and tree changes in Castle, Maine. It's palpable, says Randall. So, I mean, you, you need that balance, Kaz, don't you, of bringing some life and energy and job opportunities into town, but at the same time, locals feeling like they're still in their hometown. Is there any negativity against the two groups? Oh, look, I, there's definitely, oh, look, we know definitely around our area there's definitely that but as I said when we first moved up and we we, we moved to Brunswick Heads and um, we got involved we just we weren't working so we just we just got involved in all the community activities we're part of the school we still are we're on the local committees for different things and and I think it was one of the greatest ways of actually just coming and saying like we're not we haven't just come into town to kind of go like here's our opportunity to just forget what's going on here and bring our sort of outlook or, or um, new stuff to town, we, we actually did it in a way. So we, we were able to meet people and um, I, I guess just slowly building, and I would suggest that for anyone that goes in to a new place, you do need to feel the lay of the land and really get to understand what some of the concerns are and the issues are in the community. I mean, and as you said, like the Mayor will definitely talk to some of those things and things like running Airbnb or, you know, it's, it's very contentious around here. There's a, re- a huge rental um, crisis, you know, but it's like, but, but those things are important to know because it's like, well, what can we do as a new family to town and can we help address any of those things? You know, like, a, is there a way um, that we can assist in those things as well that actually makes this a more um, livable community for, for everyone and not feel as though we've come in and pushed other people out. And that's, you know, I've got a lot of single mum friends and all that sort of stuff. So I know the realities of, of um, living in the area is tough for some. It's really good advice, Kaz, to, to do your research, you know, know how people feel about this and what are some of the problems there, whether it be housing or, I mean, we've heard, especially throughout COVID, lots of people sort of up and move and then realise, well, there's no hospital in town or there's no schools in town or there is, but the school is full. So you really need to sort of look at that. Kaz, I'm so glad that it's all worked out for you. St Kilda hasn't changed. I mean, lots of people have said that St Kilda's gentrified, you know, that rock and roll died out and that, you know, all of the sort of boring corporate people moved in. So it happens on all levels, doesn't it? Yeah, look, it's funny. St Kilda for me, like, I, I knew my daughter was probably going to go to St Kilda Primary School and I think it was Brighton Road and those six lanes of traffic that I was just kept looking at going, I'm probably never going to let her cross that road on her own. Like, that's, that's <laughs> what actually drove me out of the city. I was like, I just want that free-range sort of lifestyle that I feel that a lot of us, you know, I grew up in the 70s and I, I feel like, you know, I, I just, I wanted that for her to just have fresh air, be at the beach, be out outdoors, not on screens all the time. Um, and this sort of lifestyle in this kind of place definitely um, really panders to that kind of way of living for us. And so that's, that's what drew us. Kaz, thanks so much. Time. Good on no you. No worries. Enjoy Good the market. Time. Thanks, love. See ya. <laughs> See ya. Kaz Ross moved from St Kilda, just outside Byron Bay with her hubby and, and child, just in Mullumbimby. So we're talking about, you know, when your town does change, when people move in and the, the wine bars and the homeware stores come about. How do you feel about it if you've lived there maybe for generations? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is there a little bit of tension between town? This is from Margaret. I grew up in Port Douglas after Christopher Scase built the first ever resort there, followed by many others discovering, she says in inverted commas, the place. It didn't take long for local term residents to be outpriced. And this text, I would call Lock West Gippsland anyhow, not South Gippsland. Okay, apologies. I'll, I'll find that out from some of my next guests. But gentrification of a village only leads 
to the loss of identity and pressure on infrastructure. You end up losing the qualities that drew you there in the first place. That's from Rod at Woods Point. Well, Sandra Gorn is the owner of Olive Cafe in Locke. And Sandra, Locke has changed a lot over the last few years. But you... Let's go back to how you ended up living in and running a cafe in Locke. You were there on holidays, saw the cafe was for sale, bought it and never left. No, my husband said I could semi-retire here and that sounded like a good idea until we opened up and it just kept getting busier and busier and no semi-retirement anymore. No, semi-retirement and the words hospitality, they don't really go hand in hand, Sandra. No, I did have a cafe in Sandringham for nine years, but this one is way busier than that one. It's funny, I actually got a text about Sandringham because we were talking about sort of having that holiday feel and then moving to a place and not getting it. And a text here says, look, I've moved just, you know, to Sandringham and I feel like I get that holiday feel, but I'm just 20Ks out of the Sydney and, it's, you know, it's it's not built up there. Moving from a bayside area to somewhere like Locke. Have you kept all of that, those holiday feels or has it just become work and busy there for you? Just work and busy here for us. So, no, I don't have those holiday feels. Um, when I first started here, probably for the first two, maybe three years, a little bit, but now, no, it's, it's pretty full on now. Locke is a town that may have taken a lot of people by surprise as to how fashionable it's become. And some people say, and I say this, you know, with love, that, you know, it was your son, Max, who many people would know from the Melbourne Footy Club, that put your cafe onto Instagram and all of a sudden lots of people flocked to town and that maybe that was a little bit of an impetus for Locke becoming a a bit of a destination point. Do you feel instrumental in this, Sandra? Um, yes, he would quite often give us a plug on the radio and on the TV and of course everybody heard it. So a lot of Melbourne supporters come down. So yeah, he does have a big part in it. And how do other locals feel about that? Uh, but, well, it's pretty busy and I'm not sure if the locals like that they can't get a car park and they have to park miles away sometimes, but it's definitely a place to be now. There's a lot of shops and a lot of a fantastic brewery and a lot of cafes, so I think they're liking it. How, how, what would the population have be in Locke? And I wonder how much that's grown. Well, I think seven years ago, I think I read that it was 300 and something, but you can't actually put many more houses here. I think there's only a couple of vacant blocks, so it can't get any bigger in the township. So a few vacant shops have been filled, but I don't think it can get much bigger. Gosh, that's little though, isn't it? 300 residents. Yeah, I think it was like 371. I'm not sure now, but um, there's a. I think there's two or three um, B&Bs now, um, four cafes, a pizza wine bar, so and about uh, two antique shops, a couple of gift shops, so it's it's got a lot busier. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to speak to some other people from Locke a little later in the program, but it's been lovely speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you for calling. That's Sandra Gorn. She's the owner of Olive Cafe. Many say was the impetus in Locke becoming just so popular now. Her son, Max, you may know him as the Ruckman for Melbourne. That's his mum's cafe. He popped it on Instagram. And then before you know it, it's a trendy place. So we'll speak to some more locals and people that have made the move from Collingwood to Locke. This is from Deb. We lived in Currumburra for 13 years and both of our kids attended Locke Kinder just when it was a quiet little spot. We're loving the new cafes and the expensive cushion shops. No more empty shops. Our cafes and supermarkets are now full with Melbourne visitors. South Gippsland needed this. P.S. The more the merrier. Deb, I'm so glad to hear that because there's something really heartbreaking when you go to a little town and it's beautiful and, you know, the surroundings are just gorgeous and it's not that far from Melbourne if commuting to Melbourne is something that's important to you and you see empty shop after empty shop or you see that the local school is closed down. And we know that lots of small schools 
across Victoria are unfortunately closing down because people aren't moving to those areas. So, you know, if places do become gentrified and these little places pop up, does it keep things like those schools open? Elaine says, in Alinda, about 30 years ago, we used to have a butcher shop and a grocery shop. No more. Let's go to Kay. Kay's in Kyneton. Kay, Kyneton has been big on the list today. People saying, it's changed. It's changed. Is that a bad thing? Um, I think, Rochelle, it's it's good and bad. I mean, as you were just saying, um, the new people that are coming to Kyneton are often young families. Their children go into the local schools and um, regenerate the, um, you know, that sort of, you've got people coming through um, to the next generation. So I, I see that sort of part of it as good. But some of, the, I think um, the growth at, for growth's sake is a real um, problem for small uh, satellite towns like Kyneton. I mean, uh, Kyneton's population, I think at the moment, six and a half thousand, something like that. But it's being um, earmarked as an area of corridor of growth that goes right up to Bendigo. So, I mean, a few years we could be looking at close to 20,000 people up here and you need infrastructure before you need... Um, that Do you really think it'll grow that much, Kay? Do you, I mean, could you ever imagine Kyneton getting to 20,000 people? I can't. I think it would just turn into um, like a... Like a um, like a suburbia mm. that um, it would be just um, unpleasant to live in, and then it'd be other people that don't. It didn't come here to begin with to um, live in that sort of environment, end up moving away. So then it becomes sort of like, um, you know, just like another area, another um, suburb of Melbourne. So um, gosh, you've got to yeah, find that I, balance, it, though, don't you? I can remember mm. back when you almost had to drive through Kyneton to to get to Bendigo, and yeah, twenty years ago stopping for a coffee and you know back then the the idea of getting a latte or some kind of fancy barista made coffee was impossible i think it was a, a nescafe in a polystyrene cup and yeah, it, the yeah. streets were dead there's nothing open after midday for example it felt like a country town and the yeah. shift of that has been dramatic and it feels like it's been fast but parts of it uh, must be really great as well. Yeah. Well, I noticed particularly during the pandemic, I was astounded going into town on certain days, just, where, this is like, it's busier than Collins Street. And a lot of people, I think, were trying to get up away from the pressure of Melbourne endure, and really enjoying um, the green, the, the country aspect, and being able to just take a deep breath and relax. And... I think that's fantastic that we have these little lovely, charming, um, nostalgic almost the country towns that surround Melbourne where people can get away and they, you know, can relax a bit and see some green. And But I suppose my biggest concern is that um, as country towns grow, big box stores tend to um, mm. chase them up the freeway. So. Yeah, they do. They and follow where the crowds are. a lot of big box stores, you know, looking to develop here. And it, I'm just really concerned that it's going to um, distract from the charm that the very reason why people come to places like Kyneton. And, and there's another and text here that dollars. says, I'm in Kyneton now and you can't buy a pair of socks or undies. All the shops have been replaced <laughs> with gift shops and homewares. I mean, now you say, I know I laugh too, but... That's a problem, even as much as it is the hospitals and the schools and all the big mm-hmm. stuff. You know, if you can't, if you live there and all of a sudden you realise that you're out of socks and undies, uh, <laughs> where do you go? Um, well, there, there is a, a... There is somewhere to buy socks and undies? Yes, there oh, is, right. and it's just down the road. But anyway, um, it's not actually in Kyneton, it's in Wooden. I would say that's where I go. <laughs> But um, the, it's more the um, not to build over the top of the very thing that it's attracting people to come. I mean, we're sort of looking at, um, you know, 160 acres being lost around just the subdivisions and things like that. We're thinking, well, this is going to become suburbia, so the very thing that attracts people to come Gosh, here. I feel like we've had this conversation yeah. so many times yeah. in life too because I see both sides, you know, because yes, that would yeah. be frustrating. And but then it, at the it, other side, people need places to live. Absolutely. I mean, and I'm all for people being 
coming here to enjoy it and um, to grow the economy, but in a um, in a way that is sensitive to the very thing that attracts people to the area. Otherwise, you risk everybody's, um, I suppose, their livelihood for the loss of um, economy to the area. Kay, thank but, you. You've spoken beautifully. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Good on you. <laughs> Suburb or town. What happens when it becomes fashionable? There's the good and there's the bad. It's really tricky, isn't it? There's big issues now we know more than ever on housing and locals being pushed out and, you know, what the solutions are around that. But then we know that small schools are are dying off, are shutting down all across regional Victoria because not enough people are moving to the area. So what is that fine balance? You know, can you have just a little bit of gentrification? You know, where do you draw the line and, and how do you create that balance? This is the Conversation Hour. So follow, follow the sun And which way the wind blows And, and this conversation today started because I feel like every second person from Hollywood A-listers to just normal people like you and I are following the sun and are moving to Byron Bay to the point and Netflix, it's called a soap documentary. I'm not sure whether those two words actually belong side by side Anyhow, a life of hot Instagrammers based in Byron Bay, just one of the things that is annoying locals. But Byron Bay or the Byron Bay effect is really just something that can then be transported onto or put over the top of so many suburbs or towns across Victoria. When we talk about gentrification, when we talk about a place becoming fashionable, how do you not push the locals out? How do you keep the locals happy and how do you keep money and opportunity in towns? and in suburbs. Let's go back to Byron Bay. Simon Richardson is the Byron Shire Mayor. Simon, you have been in the news and there's always paparazzi in Byron now. There's so many celebs in town. It's always been popular, but do you feel like it's now just gone one step too far? Yeah, look, I think it has. Um, I mean, obviously, um, you know, part of the allure of Byron, I mean, Byron, in a sense, an ideal as well as a place, really. It sort of conjures up certain certain um, ideas and spirit and, and, and that sort of thing. And that's, and that's been, a, I guess, a jealously guarded and cultivated um, way of life for 30-odd years, at least, by the community, by sort of having courage to say no to certain things and to, you know, agitate for the things that they do want. Um, and so, in a sense, uh, by being a, a point of difference, uh, just like you, you, your speakers earlier have been saying, whether it be St Kilda or San Francisco or Newtown in Sydney, whenever you've got really pla- places of quite uh, a lot of difference, uh, it attracts people who are looking for that difference, and then by them coming, it naturally dilutes it. But, you know, we've always managed to sort of, um, I guess, accommodate and, and broaden, uh, you know, the appeal, and, and really probably around 10 to 5 years ago, we had that sort of inner city creative wave coming up here now I think with COVID um, uh, where the idea of being able to work away from home has come uh, you know into full sight uh, there's a lot more people now looking to get away from the cities uh, as your speakers have already talked about and and so they're looking at Byron and, and in a sense they're coming with potentially a different sensitivity and a different idea of what the town and the place and the community should be like mm. and and that with Airbnb creating about 3,000 houses out of uh, locals' hands has really put a lot of pressure on the community to stay and live here and therefore a bit more resentment to those who are coming in. It's really quite insane, isn't it? From one of our callers earlier, in a period of only a few decades, you know, a house has gone from 12,500 to 2.5 million. I mean, mm. that's gentrification on steroids. And how do you maintain that and sustain it? And how do you keep an element of real life within a community as a mayor you must it must be a really tricky role that you have because it's a it's a really different dynamic that you have in town Oh, look, absolutely. And it's, you know, you're right. It's it's a really tricky balancing act because, of course, we're living within a free market economy where, you know, people can buy and sell real estate and we're the most expensive real estate in the world and, and Byron's the most expensive real estate in the most expensive country in the world. So, you know, it's that's not going to, to uh, get off the boil anytime soon. I guess where we're, what we're trying to do and 
but my, me personally and others, is to try and get the state government to acknowledge some of the circumstances we're in and actually support us looking at more tiny houses, uh, low-cost housing, basically to try to provide the type of housing mix, uh, even if it's the lower end, to ensure we've got a diverse community. Yeah. Because we, we, what we don't want is a monoculture of everyone in, you know, in one economic bracket. You've either then yeah. got ghetto or you've got, you know, gated boring communities. So that's that's where I guess uh, our focus is on is trying to, I guess, ensure that those who, who aren't on that property uh, ladder and are getting left behind and who've probably spent, many of them have spent decades adding to who we are, um, can stay. And it's interesting. I mean, that's where the idea for the docu-soap or whatever the bloody hell it's called, that mm. idea came from is because the the, the, a couple of guys looked up into the hills and just saw these mega mansions and thought, oh, my goodness, look, you know, how much Byron Bay has changed. But, you know, we're, we're talking to you and we're looking at the Byron effect. But, Simon, this is happening all across Victoria. I mean, I've got mm. texts here saying that Barwon Heads is the Byron Bay of the Ballerine, and it's yeah. true. It's true. And yeah. I just wonder how much almost of – what the work that you're doing there needs to become a blueprint for other councils and mayors to say, here's how you keep locals being able to afford to to live in the town or to work in the town, mm. or that you don't have, you know, just peaks at holiday periods and then it's dead the rest of the time and that there's no constant work for locals as well. Do you yeah. feel like you're kind of creating those solutions for all of us? Look, we're trying to, and that's certainly what the conversations we're having with the government uh, are focused around. You know, I I flew down with our general manager only a couple of weeks ago and spoke to our planning minister and the ideas that we were putting forward, the solutions we were putting forward were very much in the line of if this works and we sure we are sure it, it will, you can then replicate this around New South Wales and of course we all listen and learn from each other across the state. So some things like you know, we've just created a community land trust so we can then uh, develop land, uh, de- develop housing on our own land um, uh, to allow low-cost, um, I guess, non-profit-driven uh, speculative real estate on our land as a way to ensure we provide that sort of housing. Now, we need state government support. We need state governments of any persuasion to, to look beyond, I guess, the 50s idea of everyone should be able to just develop their house you know, ad nauseum and potentially creates uh, urban sprawl. We need to do better than that. There's, there's global examples where, again, if we're, if we're more open to tiny houses, to smaller temporary houses, to putting pop-up houses in uh, uh, crown and crown land, etc., rail corridors that aren't used, we can actually find a really nice mix. And so what we... what But you, certainly in New South Wales, we are absolutely the slave to New South Wales government planning powers. I think Victoria may not be that much different. So we need actually a multi-level of government response. Local governments, I guess, are closest to the people and we can identify our own local needs, but we need state governments to understand that local needs mm. need local responses. And yes, we can replicate it elsewhere. I mean, honestly, you, you could be, I sometimes I forget that you're talking about a place that's not in Victoria. Just finally, Simon. <laughs> I'm an old Melbourneian myself. Are you? Most, of us are, most of us are Melbourne exiles. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, you're not really a local there unless you're a couple of generations in. I'm but, 25 years in and almost a local. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> How do you feel about the new docu-soap, whatever the hell it is, the Byron Bays and you know, that image and that going out across something like Netflix, it's not going to help really, is it? No, it's look, it's a disaster. Um, and I chatted to the producer yesterday who's a nice person and he's, you know, he's really hoping she can bring, you know, she comes from an ABC, uh, SBS site background and she's, you know, hoping to bring a bit more depth to it. But we all know the producer's not necessarily at the editing floor or uh, sort of the editing suite. Um, I mean, bottom line is uh, what I said to her yesterday is that first of all, we've got you know, there's a, we've got a long path of of skeletons of external TV and media trying to depict who we are. They normally go into stereotypes or you know, sort of um, picture postcard, um, almost fakery when it comes to exploiting really who we are as a community. So most of the community are very wary of when anyone yeah. from outside decides to depict us. She's she's said that she's uh, you know she's really keen to 
show the real Byron. And, and my message to her was, well, look, if ultimately these people are expressing and sharing the real life conflict and, and uh, concerns that our community have, if they're actually engaging with and sharing the stories of some amazing people who aren't just influencers, they're actually influential. And whether that's uh, looking after women escaping domestic violence or they're doing amazing things in the agricultural sector or they're environmental and marine, you know, crusaders, if these sort of people get a platform mm, from that I don't show, know whether that will happen, Simon. I mean, well, all I've seen, I think there's going to be nothing but sort of, you know, scantily, like just very small bikinis. Yes, look, that's the concern. Um, and if, if that is realised, it's a disaster for us and it's just yet another group mm. externally who's trying to exploit our name and, and the community already, uh, many businesses have, have already refused them access to film. Um, the community's pretty outraged by it. Uh, we obviously can't stop it. Um, we can't even you know, refuse filming, um, you know, uh, permits, etc. So we've just got to keep pushing. She she did describe some of the people who are going to be covered, um, you know, uh, who, who potentially yeah. might not be as you depicted. But I think there's going to be plenty of perhaps drunk, good-looking people acting stupid and and, <laughs> and, and name-dropping Byron and pretending to be uh, locals, oh, which would be horrifying. Simon, I hope it doesn't cause too much tension. It's been really interesting picking your brain. Thanks so much. No worries, anytime. That's Simon Richardson. He's actually the mayor of Byron. But when you look at some of the issues and problems that he's trying to fix there, it could really be anywhere, couldn't it? Silverleaves and Phillip Island says this text. Another says, I hope Rod in Woods Point, who sent a text earlier, doesn't mind that I bought a town, a house in his town. We're coming here and it is South Gippsland, and Lock is where we are moving to. And this, if you're going to need undies, you can go to Wood End, apparently. If you're in Kyrton and you can't find any socks and undies, Wood End is where you need to be. Thank you from this text. And Seddon, the suburb of Seddon, was once known as Sleepy Seddon, the Paris end of Footscray. Now it's called Sophisticated Seddon, full of people driving Audis, Mercs and Porsches. Billy's in Flowerdale. Hi, Billy. Hello there. Um, I've forgotten your name. My Sorry. name's Rochelle. That's all right, Rochelle. Billy. Yeah. Um, I, I, I live in Flowerdale, which is a country area, and I, I spend a lot of time in Whittlesea, which is a sort of country area on the edge of town. But the fact that it, sort of all the people from the city sell up and move there, it takes a country feel out of the town. Like, yeah, Whittlesea I wouldn't even think of Whittlesea as a country town anymore. It's, it's No, big. no, but it's, it's kind of a last direction that the suburbs expanded out north and um, I know the locals they just you know say oh look we're getting we're getting a bit more crime and we don't know everybody and you know it's just not it's not the little town that we knew growing up and stuff so. Not knowing everybody is a big part of it isn't it and whether or not people are there you know seven days a week and if they live there permanently but if you found that there's more money in town. There are more job opportunities around the area of Whittlesea and Flowerdale, Billy. Yeah, so I think so. And I just, I just like Flowerdale because I think we're uh, we're far enough away and hilly enough to escape being cityfied. Because we've, mm. we've got a pub and a shop, and that's all we want. If we want to go shopping, we'll go to Whittlesea or pub and a shop, and you've got everything covered. Thanks. Billy, thank you so much. It's a beautiful part of town, Flowerdale. Gosh, I spent a lot of time up there and, and Whittlesea, especially after the Black Saturday fires. So lovely to hear from you. Lock has been a big part of what we're talking about. A lot of love coming in for people that travel through to Lock, that spend days there, that go to Olive Cafe as well. This, I love Lock. I always stop for a coffee and treats at Olive and Lock and many other little lovely cafes and stores as well as Currumburra is amazing. There's lovely cakes there. Local producers, it's so great. The Menian Fish and Chip Shop, Foster, they're all great little towns as well. We're so lucky to be able to enjoy these beautiful towns. That's a great text, isn't it? And we are lucky. We really are privileged. I sort of always feel like you could drive, if you're in the CBD anyhow, but no matter where you are in Victoria, if you sort of drive two hours in any direction, you'll end up just somewhere vastly different to where you are and you'll experience some places of beauty. Locke is one of the towns that we're focusing on today. And why people move, you know, whether or not it's got a little bit of the Byron effect. William Tarlow moved to Locke four years ago. He had a furniture shop in Collingwood and I think maybe even one in Paran at some point as well. William, what made you up and move to Locke? 
Uh, I guess I was looking to escape uh, the traffic um, uh, and just the noise and just have some peaceful time, I suppose, out in the country. I like to be near the water, so I'm still not far away from the water. and Just everything's a lot slower, and um, I guess as I get older, that's what I'm looking for. When we talk about where your shop was, it was the heart of Collingwood, Smith Street, you know, really vibrant and, and, and fashionable. When you go to somewhere and you relocate, do you still want an element of that trendiness or do you want the complete opposite? I think, um, well, for myself personally, I, I'm looking for something almost a little bit opposite, I guess. I'm, I, I, you know, as I said, when you get older, I'm not looking for all the things that I perhaps needed or wanted when I was younger. So um, being older, you want you just want a quieter life and uh, I don't have to go out every night. And as long as there's a few things around that I enjoy, which is, you know, food, the water um, and some good people, some good mm. um, soulmates. I'm How happy. did the locals take to you when you first moved? They're like, oh, God, here comes another city slicker. Uh, I think... Um, Maybe some of the older people think like that, but, you know, I think I've been well-received and it's a good community. Um, Yeah, it it can't get much bigger. I don't think there can be too much development in Locke itself. So it has been kept nice and small um, and it's got a nice social atmosphere and people care about their community and... You know, the things that you do get with a small community, yeah. Oh, William, thank you. I feel like we're giving it such a big plug that all of a sudden the real estate agents' (laughs) phones are going to be ringing off the hook and I'm going to get into trouble. I don't think there's anything there for sale anyway. that's probably the case. (laughs) Good on you, William. Thanks, mate. All right. That's William Tarlow, furniture shop, you know, and really I'm talking super trendy furniture shop in... In Collingwood, very mid-century type furniture now in Lock. Plenty of love coming in for this little town. I'm sorry for people that live there. They're like, shut up. Stop talking about my town. I don't want anybody to know where it is. Lock is my favourite place to stop on our way to our holiday house at Venus Bay. Each school holidays. It's so quaint and quiet and coffees are perfect. Homeware stores love the lunch menus when we go there as well. And this, my daughter and her partner, bought their first home in Locke only three years ago. She was from remote country farm and fell in love with the feel of Locke whilst not being far from work and shopping centres. My little brother moved from Warrigal to Byron seven years ago, playing for the Byron Maggies. He now has integrated into the community and he'll likely never return. Isn't that amazing? Your two kids are living in each of the two communities that we're talking about today. Goodness me, that's amazing. Marie at Ludinia, I should say, she's been, well, I don't know whether you can be called a local, Marie. You've been there 35 years in lock. You're the local justice of the peace. You book the local town hall with your husband, Ray. How do you feel about the newer people moving to town? I, uh, I feel really terrific about the new people moving to town. Usually when you get a new person who is actually chosen to move to Locke, they're here because they love the community spirit and they get involved. And that's what we need in a town this size. We need people who are involved and active and part of the community. And every new person who moves to the town brings something to this community. Are other people not as happy about it, though? You get people who think they're doing the right thing and actually make mistakes. But usually we're pretty forgiving of people like that unless they don't learn, (laughs) if you know what I mean. I know where the town hall is so central to small towns and everything from the CWA to dances to important meetings that the town might, might, might want to hold. But I know where you are at the moment, Marie. The walls are covered in photographs of Locke over the years. How much has it changed, depending on if you're standing in, in that room at the moment and you look at the photographs on the wall and then you walk out into the main street of Locke? How different is it? Well, in the 1890s, this whole area was full of the most amazing forest. Uh, and unfortunately, there was a, well, fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, there was a very large bushfire 
about 1896, which cleared a lot of the land. So now we have green rolling hills, and we do have lots of trees still, but then a lot of them are European. And I'm sitting here looking out my window at the marvellous autumn display in the town of the of the lovely European trees. Uh, once it was opened up, it became good dairying land. It used to once upon a time be coal mining way back in the distant past. And the town was named after Lady Locke, who was the governor of Victoria back then. It's The town itself has gone from having horse and carts and uh, dirty main streets to stunning buildings, uh, little cottages, great big buildings. It's just a, a real variety, a lovely mix. Are you worried about the pressure on infrastructure around town? I mean, I've got texts here saying, you know, Currumburra, which is not too far from where you are, it's just getting so big. There's another housing estate coming soon. Another one bites the dust, says Peg in Cheltenham. Are you worried about the problems on hospitals, on schools, all of those things that are really important to a community? They are really important to a community. The the actual geography of the town sort of limits how much expansion that can take place. We have a really good primary school and a lovely kindergarten, but uh, the nearest secondary school is Currumburra. The saddest thing about Currumburra is that the own, only bank that's left in the town is just about to close. Yeah, well, and that's happening across the state. About that. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the... We're fortunate in that there can only be a limited amount of development because of the yeah, nature of the geography of the town. We're in green, green rolling hills, mm. and oh. we're pretty much in a little valley surrounded by hills all the way around. I have a feeling you're going to be really busy on the weekend, and it may be my fault. But, Marie, thank you so much. Just finally, if you're booking the town hall with your hubby, Ray, what's coming up at the Lock Town Hall? We actually have a dance this weekend coming up, I think, Uh there's always meetings going on. Uh, the local branch of the CWA meets. The uh, various different uh, committees in the town often use the hall. We uh, recently had a meet the local policeman meeting oh. in our hall, which is just wonderful. Oh, good on you, Marie. Thank yeah. you so much for speaking with us. You're most welcome. I hope you have a lovely day. You too. That's Marie L- L- Ludidia. Oh, speak, spit it out, Rochelle. She is the local Justice of the Peace. And along with her hubby, Ray, they book the local town hall in Lock. This one from Angie Mooney Ponds. Add me to the list of Lock lovers. It's my regular stop on our way to our holiday house at Sandy Point. The best toasted sandwich and coffee. Also fresh produce. It's just delicious. Although now it can be hard to get a park some days. Don't forget you can email us conversation hour at abc.net.au subscribe to the conversation hour podcast that way you will never miss an episode